Greetings, Bethel community. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. I hope that wherever you are when you're listening to this over the last couple of weeks, you have been able to find some space to have joy and celebration and enjoy the festivities that surround the mystery and the wonder of Jesus's birth. And thankfully, we are still in the Christmas season. So hopefully we can carry this on for a couple more days. In our gospel passage today, we kind of still are in the Christmas story. Today is the name of Jesus Sunday. So we're going to be talking about when Jesus was officially given his name and when he was presented in the temple. Now, this gospel passage picks up first eight days and then 40 days after Jesus's birth. After the shepherds and angels, when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the Jerusalem temple, which was probably on their way back home from where they were in Bethlehem. This passage contains a very important piece of the puzzle of the identity of Jesus. We already heard during Advent and on Christmas Eve about Jesus's birth being acknowledged by the angelic messengers, by the earthly king Herod, by the common folk of the shepherds, and by the Gentiles, the Magi from the East. Today, we will learn that Jesus was also recognized by the devout people of God in the temple and celebrated as a fulfillment of Old Testament promises. In fact, there is meaning in just about every single verse in this long passage that points back to the Old Testament. In the way Mary and Joseph dutifully perform the correct rituals outlined in Leviticus as a good, devout Jewish family would, the Song of Simeon, which mirrors the song of a woman named Hannah, who dedicated her son Samuel to God and ushered in the era of the kings of Israel, and the celebration of Anna, an old widow and a prophetess who bears all of the credentials of someone who would know a sign from God when she sees one. All of this is to say that Jesus is not just a special baby, but one that fits into a plan that started long, long before his birth. So, as today is the celebration of the name of Jesus, as you listen to the gospel passage, pay attention to who Simeon and Anna say that Jesus is in this gospel. And with that, a reading from the gospel of Luke the second chapter. When the eighth day came, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. Now may the grace and peace of God be with you wherever and whenever you are hearing this. So, goody goody. That was the name that was given to me in the fourth grade by a group of girls who decided that I needed a label. Something to mark me as different, someone who didn't belong to their friend group. I don't know why they chose that one. I don't think I was particularly well behaved. And as far as I can remember, I didn't tell on others when they weren't. But names that are put on one person by another don't necessarily have to make sense. It's more the intent behind them that matters, the emotional punch that it delivers. It sounds like such a harmless phrase, goody goody, but names have power. And this one followed me for three years until I got to middle school and was able to leave that group of girls behind. That label, that name, it's thankfully an old-fashioned phrase. You don't hear it used very often, but I still feel a bit of a jolt when I do. I I don't think I've ever shared this name-calling story before because it sounds so silly as an adult. But in my case, the name that was put on me was intended to cause shame somehow. And it did, for a long time, because names hold power. Names that we're given at birth, before we do anything at all, that carry the weight of parental or generational expectation, or at least hope. Names that we are given by teachers, by peers, or strangers. Overachiever, underachiever, jock, nerd, problem child, golden child, smart one, quiet one, loud one, emotional one, difficult one. And then there are the names that we give ourselves, sometimes internal ones that we actually inherited from others, but we still tell ourselves when we are alone, stupid, crazy, bother, burden. In one of my seminary classes once, we were talking about gospel passages about people being possessed by demons. And I just casually said that maybe a mild, modern example would be the negative voice that can sometimes get inside your head and call you names and turn you aside from being certain and brave and being able to do everything that you would be able to do. And another student, a friend of mine, asked me, so what do you do then? Stand up and say, not today, Satan. 
And I said, well, I didn't before, but I will now. So whenever I find my internal voice calling me a name that I know logically doesn't really belong to me, I will literally hear her voice in my head saying, not today, Satan. And at the very least, it makes me smile. And another friend actually got me a t-shirt that says that on it. So if you ever see me wearing my not today, Satan t-shirt, just know that it's a day when I need a little extra reminder of who I am and who I am not. But today is the day to celebrate the name of Jesus. And as I sat down to write this, I had to think, well, which name are we celebrating today? He's got a few. There's the name that was given to him by the angel, Jesus, or Yeshua, as it probably would have been pronounced, which means roughly, God is salvation. This was a very common name in the first century, kind of like Robert today, or Son of God, which is what the angel says he will be called by others. He likely had names and labels given to him by those in his community when he was growing up. He would have been known as Poor, which we know from the sacrifice that his parents gave in the temple. The text says two turtle doves or two pigeons. Now that was the option for those who could not afford to purchase and offer a lamb. So the family was poor. We also hear Jesus referred to later as the carpenter or craftsman's son, son of Joseph, or perhaps even illegitimate son of Mary, because we know that story got around. A pretty stark contrast to the lofty promises of an angel. The names Jesus would have heard as a child growing up were likely not so regal, not so full of hope. But of course, we know him better by other names. Two weeks from now, we'll hear John the Baptist calling him the Lamb of God. Today, we hear the righteous people of Israel proclaim him as a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, God's salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. These are names that place him on a national or even global scale. And indeed, during his trial, 33 years later, he will be labeled a national disturber of the peace and executed by crucifixion, a punishment designated for political criminals, for those who threaten Rome and those who tempt the people to rebel. Which is not a surprise, really, because the label Messiah was generally believed to carry that sort of weight. You may have heard that the people of Israel were awaiting a Messiah, a warrior who would vanquish their enemies and reestablish the kingdom of David. For some, that was true, but it wasn't really that clear-cut. Messiah simply meant anointed one. The Greek version of it is Christos, or Christ, like we say today. It could refer to a king, yeah, but it could also refer to a prophet. Some people were hoping for either one of those. Some were expecting two messiahs, one king and one prophet. And some even figured there would be three one king, one prophet, and one teacher of the law who would work together to bring out the redemption of Israel, because no one person could possibly fulfill all of those expectations. And most likely, most people probably didn't really think about messiahs at all, but just wished everybody else would stop obsessing about the term. Because in the landscape of the turn of the century, the land was full of messiahs who didn't seem to bring much other than trouble. 
men who would give that name to themselves and claim that they were sent by God only to be hunted and killed along with their followers by the Roman troops before they had a chance to deliver on any of those promises. And yet, today we hear about a random day when the proclamation of the appearance of not just any Messiah was spoken in the temple, but the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the Anointed One, here for the redemption of the nations. I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like a tall order for a 40-day-old baby that hasn't done anything yet. Later, Christians would give Jesus other names as well, names from the Old Testament that Christians carried over to refer to Jesus, names from Isaiah 9 that we hear at Christmas, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, or in Isaiah 7, Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, there are the names that Jesus gave himself, mostly in the Gospel of John. The bread of life, the true vine, the gate, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the resurrection, the way, and the truth, and the life. And I find it interesting because the names that Jesus gives himself in John are the ones that most closely match the words of the angel Simeon and Anna, names having to do with salvation and light and hope and truth. And I think it's not a mistake that these names are proclaimed in the Jerusalem temple in God's house. Not, of course, by a high priest who was decried as corrupt, but by those who Luke describes as righteous and guided by the Holy Spirit, the ones who had learned over long lifetimes how to listen for the voice of God. God's house is the place where Jesus is first really and truly publicly acknowledged. It's the place where he's recognized and affirmed, not for the labels that are put on him by others, not for the labels that will drag him down and subvert him, but for his true purpose, his true identity, the one set forth by God during the birth story and claimed by Jesus later in life. Jesus is acknowledged by Simeon and Anna for who he really is and reminded that his life is one that will bring life and salvation, but it will also lead to heartache for Mary. Mary, his mother, who, if given a choice, would probably not have chosen any of these names for her child, but who loved him and stuck by him through it anyway, even all the way to the cross. So that leads me to ask now, is the house of God still the place for that? Is the church a place where someone can show up and not have to worry about the names that are placed on them by the outside world? To bring their authentic selves, the person they know themselves to be? God, after all, already knows who each of us is. But what about the people of God? One of the things that I loved about church growing up is that no matter what names I was called, out there, on the playground, at home by my siblings, by peers, at church I was, for the most part, loved and accepted, allowed to be kind of nerdy like I am, ask as many questions as I wanted, and not have to worry about fitting a role. Church was a place where I could be me. But I know that not everybody is fortunate enough to have that kind of experience. Churches can be a place where the harshest labels are imposed. The strictest external expectations are kept. The small amount of difference extinguished. If that was ever your experience at any point in your life, I am sorry. As Anna and Simeon show, it's not supposed to be that way. 
The church should be a safe place for anyone to lay down the burden of names that were pushed upon them by people who do not speak for them and most definitely do not speak for God. So, as we celebrate the new year, as ad campaigns, bloggers, and marketers try to sell us all the labels that they want us to believe we should be, the whole new year, new you slogan, maybe it's a good time to reflect on names. What we've learned about ourselves in the past year, what names we've heard, what names we've been given, which ones feel like they actually fit the person that God created each of us to be, and which ones we can set aside and say, thanks for your input, but not today, not today. And may this church, our community of Bethel, and the wider ELCA church and beyond, continue to be a place where, when somebody new walks in the door, we can greet them like Simeon and Anna. We can take them in our arms, learn their names, praise God, and say, We've been waiting for someone just like you. Amen. That's the sermon for today. I also wanted to let you all know that starting next week, our interim pastor, Pastor Russ Gordon, will be joining us. He'll be doing the sermon next Sunday. And then going forward, he and I will be taking turns as it will. So he'll be a new voice to some of you and a familiar voice for others. So Hopefully you'll join us again next weekend. Have a wonderful week. God's blessings upon you all.